0: Welcome back to the final episode of the first season of The Aryan and the Jew, also known as Aryan Jew Show. This is episode number 11 and I do apologize for the sound ambience. I'm traveling in the Middle East for another project and this was the best sound environment I could find. Anyway, my name is Aaron Flam, and I am the Jew part of this slightly strange duo. As I said in the first episode, I am also a Swedish comedian, which might sound like an oxymoron, but someone had to at least give it a try. And try, I did. But doing comedy in Sweden is like climbing Mount Everest with 70 Sherpas on your back. It is, to paraphrase Jimmy Carr about Germany, missionary work. And by now I feel like Ansgar, the first Christian missionary to Sweden, must have felt when he came to christen the Swedes. An utter failure, soon forgotten. Alexander Bard is a Swedish philosopher. Which might sound like an oxymoron also, but someone had to be the first, and by now I hope you see that it is at least possible, even if you don't agree with him. And even though Alexander doesn't believe in the individual, by now you must believe, as I do, that he is one. It has been quite a ride, hasn't it? Alexander is a brilliant man, but next season the tables will turn, and I will try to explain how I see the world. But for now we still have the final hour of the final day left. If you want to support The Aryan and the Jew, please do so on Patreon, Swish or PayPal. The second season will probably come out sometime in the spring, depending mostly on Alexander's schedule. Now, for the last stretch of the first season of The Aryan and the Jew. Enjoy. And so we're back. And I thought we'd finish the day with talking a bit about archetypes, specifically the trickster, because I remember when we started emailing each other about doing this podcast, you said you wanted to talk about Jung's concept, Nox Matris, and the trickster archetype.
1: Well, there's a Jungian revival to begin with. And and it starts, like, what, seven, eight years ago with the re-release of several of Jung's classic works, and also the first publication of several of his texts that had never been published before. So there was certainly a resurgence in Jung, and it fits in with the times, obviously, because we see infantilization of society is the major problem of society today. And Jordan, how, Jordan how Peterson yeah. and Camille Pagler pointed this out repeatedly, that actually we have all the signs of decadence as the dominant mode of society today. So uh, then the Jungian archetypes are incredibly helpful to try to map what kind of categories we could work with to move forward. Doesn't mean that I necessarily buy Jung's archetypes. I would say that Today, I would differentiate between memes and archetypes. Memes are ideals for how we should live or, or different extreme states of being human and things like that. To me, archetypes truly are uh, personality types that either pop up and are needed in a specific society at given times, or that are prevalent all the time, constantly, always in need. So for me, it's about mapping contemporary human beings In a way, they find what kind of archetype they would have been in the original tribe and could be today. And the trickster is one of them.
0: Yes, and I've worked with the trickster as well. But from a mythological perspective, I suppose, as a comedian, I work with stereotypes and cliches and such things all the time, you have to. You work with uh, broad generalizations of humanity, and you want those broad generalizations to be as correct as possible. Then you have to read sociology and anthropology and mythology and psychology.
1: Yeah, you do, to understand what it means to be human, to understand how a society functions. And of course, you please me here because if I find a comedian is interested in trickster, that means you're probably also interested in satire. And that's when humor gets really interesting because when humor gets close to power in a given society, and the question of power it gets really powerful in itself and really interesting just cracking jokes you know to entertain people at a sort of bourgeois dinner to me is just degrading to a comedian that's a cheap version of it well you know the most common form we have in sweden as well the comedian is just a funny guy who doesn't offend anybody but when you do start offending people and you are part of the power game that's ongoing and you're actually in a position where you can voice criticism against the power structure and get away with it then you're probably getting close to the trickster
0: well the trickster i try myth. because it's you know what i do for a living that's why i got into the trickster myth i actually i think i got into the trickster myth before i started in comedy like started working with comedy professionally mm-hmm. but i w- i always loved comedy and then so maybe you should describe the trickster to our listeners uh, sure uh, yeah. the trickster give, give us the, the rough trickster scares. is uh, to understand the trickster as simply as possible, it is the representation of chaos in drama. Mm-hmm. So it is a character that is very rarely the main character. It's a, it's a staple character in, in, for instance, the hero myth. He is the character that will take the hero from the ordinary mundane world into the world of the adventure. He is uh, Morpheus in The Matrix, who offers a red pill or a blue pill. And the trickster as a character in, in classical myth, he is uh, always the representation of chaos. It's Loki in the Norse mythology, for instance. Is uh, He's very rarely a complete god. He's often a half god, a demigod of some sort. Uh, and he wants to get in with the other gods. So he has to steal or trick his way into that society, which makes him an expert at... Uh, jumping borders, if you want to, mm-hmm. or, or uh, crossing borders, because he is the god of uh, the crossroad, of trade, of inventions. And usually he's not exactly like the hero, he's more of a folk hero. And mm-hmm. I, my idea of the trickster is, because in the Messiah myth, you're never told anything really about the Messiah's childhood. Even in the Bible, the part about Jesus' childhood, they are folk stories, they're not in the actual Bible. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and this is where we, because the hero myth is the story about a young man becoming a god. Basically, that's what, what it is. It's uh, sacrificing yourself for a higher ideal and outperforming a normal human, doing almost godlike deeds. And then also reaching completion. Precisely. Yeah. And the trickster, I think we can, if we, if we think about this uh, empty space in the hero's childhood, I think this is where we find the archetypal trickster myth. Because the trickster myth is the story of an animal that becomes human. It is the story we tell children in the tribe. It's uh, Because, you know, they see this clown, this trickster, falling on banana peels, peeing himself, farting in public. All these things that are taboo, and they laugh because they realize this is not how grown-ups are supposed to uh, act. This is a character who cannot control his bodily functions or his, his motor skills. He has no motor skill. He doesn't know what to eat and when to eat. Uh, so he eats poisonous things that taste good but makes him poo all the, everywhere and he drowns in his own poo, stuff like that. Mm. And it makes the children laugh but also it, it makes them learn because they understand that we learn through our errors. So if the hero leads by example, the trickster teaches uh, by being wrong himself. And that is so in essentially way, what I do as a. You send the trickster in
1: to present chaos and say, "This is chaos, and this guy can somehow handle chaos because he at least he survives." But if would be like the trickster, the whole thing will fall apart.
0: Precisely. And so need... he's a challenger. Yeah, and you need a bit of chaos. And yes. trickster is not like the hero. The hero is always always valiant, upstanding, good. Th- th- these are easy, clear concepts. The trickster, he. Changes depending on what culture he exists in because when we as cultures decide what is order We also decide what is chaos because everything that ends up on the outside of order is chaos And that is the trickster's domain Mm -hmm. That is the dirt the things we don't want to see and the trickster's job is to fling that dirt at symbols of power That means the trickster uh, is the lowest of the hierarchy. Yes. He's kind
1: of lower than anybody else, in a position where nobody's supposed to be, really.
0: In one of the few societies that still recites uh, like a living uh, tradition of trickster cycle, it's the Winnebago North American uh, native population, Indians, we used to call them. They have two shamans in the tribe. They have the shaman who, you know, can perform any type of shamanic duties from making you laugh to... Uh, making rain pour down from the sky or, you know, making sure the sun comes up in the morning. So, and, but they also have a clown shaman, a shaman whose specific job is to make the audience laugh before the ceremony mm-hmm. because they believe that laughter uh, frees the human spirit and makes it receptive to the divine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and in a sense, when trickster teaches by deterrent, when he, when he teaches by being a bad example, mm-hmm. that is sort of what a stand-up comedian does on stage. So when I went into stand-up, in my mind, sort of in a confused way, it was fieldwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So you could say this is the priest and the trickster, really, and they're both shamanic.
0: Well, I think that's because that's what funny, what's funny about trickster, because he is defined by something else. He's defined by the order. Mm-hmm. Right, so he's always different, and he has many different forms. And in each society, you can tell, oh, that must be their trickster god. But what specific taboos he breaks—that will say a lot more about the specific culture, I think. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I agree completely. And and, and the trickster is badly needed, especially at times of crisis or disorientation. So that means if, if, if we if we lose the vision, if we don't know where the vision is, but if you do have a vision and you're going in a certain direction, the trickster is the guy who questions that vision. And he then constantly tests it. Is this really the right direction where we're going?
0: And that's so, his purpose. Yeah, He's that's supposed purpose. Uh, the uh, Trickster is supposed to break things. And if they yeah. don't break, good, then they're working. Yeah. And if they do break, good, then they were weak. Mm-hmm. So... Basically, what I've done as a political in my political comedy, my real talent is uh, one-liners, shock value, very simple. Uh, But I also do political satire because it, well, it amuses me. Uh You and call it deep humor. Yes, and what Uh I do is uh, very basically, I try to identify cultural specific taboos Uh thing, and then I throw myself at them uh, and hope that something sticks. And if if I can't come up with anything funny about a taboo subject, then there's probably a good reason for it being taboo. But most of the time, you can make fun of almost anything. And, and the more taboo something is, the more important it is, I think, to make fun of it because that is something with taboos, if it's justified, is something that we need to repress in order to make society work. Mm-hmm. But if we repress something, there must also be sort of a semi-healthy outlet Mm-hmm. for this repression absolutely yes and then you have three options basically you can cry you can pray or you can laugh and i chose laughter because i don't believe in god and i'm not that emotional so i don't cry that often and so laughter became my sort of uh, yeah my safe space mm-hmm. <laughs> My say i chose the most unsafe space as my safe space. I think that's a good idea for most people.
1: <laughs> uh, that probably proves you got a trickster personality.
0: Yeah. Yes. Right? Probably. <laughs> I'm
1: calm in chaos, right? Well, this also reveals that a society that goes after the trickster is an incredibly weak society.
0: Well, I don't know if they went after me. I was just frozen it's out. Gone,
1: so. It's gone. It's gone. The one of the two extremes. So you can either have a phallic dictatorship, which is essentially like a one-party state. Uh, a firm idea where you're heading, uh, complete control of the population in minute detail, like Stalinism, for example. It's a very sort of phallic structure without the matrical. Or you could go the other way and look at the matrical structure, which is of course a chaotic state. Uh, everybody speaks all of the time. Decision making is postponed constantly. Decadence is dominant. It's essentially a society of gossiping and smelling salts and hardly any decision making at all. Meaning it's falling down. It's falling apart. Um, it's decadent in the classical sense, or as we call it, we call it decorationist. So that is a metrical society without the phallic. For example, the problem we have in contemporary Sweden. So both these states are dangerous. And the interesting thing is that both the over and the over-phallic society will attack the trickster. He, he, he Of course, in the phallic structure, he would stand for chaos. He will be the guy who writes and publishes the Samistat in a communist dictatorship. He will be the driving force he, he will be the cultural driving force of the opposition against the dictatorship. There might be a political activist out there. Hopefully one day can take over and be the heroes and the chieftains once a democracy is installed, for example, or once free speech and of law arrives. But until it's a corrupt dictatorship, uh, the trickster will be involved in the opposition movement, and he'll be very cultural. He might often even operate in the public arena because he can get away with operating there because the dictator often doesn't see that the trickster is his opponent. So he's the guy, say you live in a dictatorship and you walk to theater and you get this funny laugh and you realize the guy on the stage is actually poking fun at power out there, but he gets away with it. That is a typical, really classic sort of... Texture, Unless it's a really
0: weak uh, dictatorship, then they want to kill the comedian.
1: If it's really weak, yes, exactly. Weakness is the problem, not the strength. Yeah, so, so that's true. But... You can also have the trickster like today. Give a clear-cut example. I won't use you in this case. No, I couldn't... Say Milo Yiannopoulos, for example. To me, he's an absolute 100% clear-cut trickster. He has many of the traits with his androgyny, all those other things that often go with the trickster too. And he's constantly being attacked by the social justice warriors. And when they don't attack him, they try to avoid him, they try to ban him, they try to censor him, or they try to ignore him, which, of course, the way women try to kill each other through ignorance, right? So... That is exactly why tricksters both get a lot of following today, because they are actually speaking the truth.
0: Well, uh, that has been uh, my aim with every piece of thing. Everything I write, I try yeah. to tell the truth. Uh, and I think uh, everyone who has this as a profession should. Yeah. Even when they're lying, they should aim at lying to convey the truth.
1: And it's a sophisticated truth. Isn't Logos in the sense you should always say what's true? instead of saying what's false in a given time. It's a much more dialectical way of working with the truth. Like, how could you be more truthful than truth itself? Well, you can be ironic, for example. Yes. So you can say something that sounds like you mean the opposite of what you're saying, and then people who are stupid will actually take it literally, and other people will have a laugh, which can be very, very efficient when you attack a certain power structure. This is typical for the trickster. So the trickster is allied with irony. Yeah. Irony and satire, his his main elements. I
0: I I had a colleague who uh, was of Kurdish descent, uh, or is of Kurdish descent, and he he uh, used to have a joke about his Kurdish family when he went back to uh, the homeland, so to speak, in northern mm. Iran, and he would try irony, and it did, didn't work because they hadn't gotten to that stage in their society when it was funny to mean the opposite of what you say.
1: Yeah, irony is not universal. It exists in all cultures, but it doesn't exist all the time.
0: Exactly. And
1: it's fiendishly difficult to deal with. But when you can use it, it's incredibly efficient. And it's also often a way to say the truth and still get away with something else. Because when you accuse somebody who is being ironic, you often accuse them by taking what they just said literally. And it's like, you did say this, so you had to have meaning. You, you must have meant it, right? So you did say this, you must have meant it, and in this case, the only defense you have is by saying that I was being ironic. Of course, I didn't mean it. If you look at the context, you see that. So, but it could also be the other way around. Of course, that irony could also be the best defense for the tricks they're saying in a court of law. Like you said, this this is illegal, You mustn't mm-hmm. say this, and then you can claim in your defense you can claim I was actually being ironic.
0: That is. Is part- there
1: any sign of my intention being literal here? If I said that. Uh, this woman is a bitch, she deserves to die. Did I actually go out and kill her? Did I ask anybody to pick up a gun and go and kill her? No, I didn't. I was obviously being ironic. So you can also use irony here as a defense.
0: I was only joking.
1: I was only joking, exactly.
0: That is one of the best defenses you can have, at least uh, in a free society. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I got out of trouble a few times when I was younger by using comedy. So I was only a...
1: joking, and the other one is, this is a work of art. What yes. I just said, what I yeah. just did, what I just performed was nothing but a work of art. But
0: you have trickster-like qualities.
1: I guess I do. I'm interested in, in what Siddiquist and I call the shamanic caste. Yes. The shamanic caste, for example, the Levites, who were the priests, priestly class among the Israelites. They're also interesting because shamanic castles, geographically and topologically speaking, doesn't have a territory. And because it doesn't have a territory, it's not involved in the intrigues concerning territory. It doesn't claim territory. It never can. If a Levite has a child, he can only become another Levite. So the shamanic cast are outsiders per definition. And there's a point to that. Well, number one, they're not involved with the intrigues and the power games, meaning the incorruptible. And number two, because they travel around or they're at the outskirts of society, they have a bigger perspective, meaning they're actually wiser than other people are. Even if they're equally intelligent, they're still wiser because they see a bigger picture, they travel, and they're also at the outskirts. And that means if you have the inner circuit dominated by women and metric and the outer circuit dominated by Patrick and the men, it's actually the outskirts of the outer circuit at the border between this tribe and the next tribe that you find a concentration of the shamanic caste. And the other place where the shamanic cast are probably located is right in between the inner and the outer circuit. And there they often have a more androgynous character as well, meaning that, you know, they're lesbian women, they're gay men, and they act as go betweens between the inner and the outer circuit to make, you know, the flow, communication, information, and of people between the two circuits efficient and smooth. Gen- so we need them there. But when you go to the outer of the outer circuit, The androgynous element is no longer that important. This is a kind of a trickster or a priest or a diplomat or a medicine man, for that matter, who can very often be very assured in his male or female identity, but he is odd or she is odd. They're different from the rest. This is the archetype that's different. This is the the archetype of the 5%. You know, the category we usually put left-handed people or homosexual people or people that's like a small minority, it always exists, is equally prevalent in all populations, so definitely serves a purpose, but you need few to serve for that purpose. And I would even say, if you discover that your personal archetype belongs to a shamanic caste, be prepared that you might not serve even during your own lifetime. You might have to live with the fact that your purpose in life is not necessarily something that's needed today.
0: Yes, I was. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I Th- yeah, yeah Me too, be because
1: I, I didn't know whether I would ever write philosophy. I knew I had the talent for it, but because philosophy has to be original, yeah. it's an art form, you cannot repeat what others have said, you must say something genuinely novel if you're going to write philosophy. Then, unless you live in an age where something genuinely novel happens that needs to be commented on and needs to be understood... There's really no point in you becoming a philosopher. There's not a constant group of philosophers that serve as philosophers in a given society, the way you have a constant number of people who cook food, or a constant number of hunters, or a constant number of berry pickers, or a constant number of child rearers.
0: No, you have to take a risk. Exactly. With exactly. your talents or lack thereof.
1: Yeah, and oh. you might have a second secondary minor talent that you have to sort of live with and deal with and exploit instead, because your major talent is not a talent that necessarily needs, needs to serve the community when you're alive, or at least not permanently. This is the thing of the shamanic cast. The shamanic cast does include several sub archetypes. I would say this is the category of all the archetypes that have the most sub archetypes.
0: The shaman. The
1: the shamanic cast.
0: Yeah, right. Where I
1: definitely include the trickster.
0: Um, I would say the trickster is the Ur archetype, and the shaman is a variation of a trickster.
1: Yeah, could be. Yeah.
0: Well, I well, just see it that way. Well, okay. You know, I come from mythology. So okay. the archetype so you have is. There are two binary extremes. Okay. Yes.
1: These two binary extremes will go towards more extremity. That means that men will like men even more, women like women even more, or the opposite as long as they're more extreme. It would pay off to be a feminine woman, it would pay off to be a very masculine man. That has to be sort of softened up somewhere and there has to be communication between the two. Even a regular normal marriage today needs a couple therapist. therapists, but well, you bring in the gay guy or you bring in a shaman of some kind. So you probably have a calling and your calling is actually originally negation. I do not fit in. I do not fit in with the 95% that dominates this population. I don't fit in there, I don't fit in there. Okay. So hopefully somebody who's older than you, an older brother or, say, grown-up, will pick you out from the crowd and say, you're different. So we're going to educate you and foster you to be something different. But that also means your life is going to be different from the other children. And I think this is very common in the shamanic cast, is that they don't fit in at school. They constantly fight. You know, When you, when, when you put children into a certain format and say, you're a child, this is our race of children, and we use the same model for everybody. The person born into shamanic cast is the one that's most uncomfortable with that. They probably struggle a lot with that because somebody should have really picked them out from the crowd and said, okay, we're not going to keep you there. We'll put you somewhere else because you, you, you're going to imitate grownups directly to be trained into your shamanic cast. And then you discover when you grow up that this shamanic cast has all these different sub archetypes. And the question is, one of them could you be? Well, you discover you could probably be most of them. It depends on if somebody else steps into the arena. It's better at something you are than that person takes over and takes care of that sub-archetype, and you maybe, you know, you're the reserve force. In case that guy's lost, you have to step in and take over. Otherwise, you could probably fit into any of them. I think the diplomatic or the medical could certainly work for you and me too.
0: Diplomat, I couldn't be a diplomat. That you're is, sure. a, that is yes, I'm sure. That is about watching your words I think, you cannot always say what you mean. It isn't,
1: actually. It isn't, actually.
0: Uh, the
1: diplomat, in the modern sense, is probably something that just goes to cocktail parties' embassies.
0: Okay, okay that that I That's could...
1: not the real diplomat. No, the diplomat is the guy you send to the other tribe when you know you've got a costly war about to happen that's going to massacre most of your soldiers, and eventually you expect the other side to even rape and pillage the women at the center of your tribe. You've got a tragedy ahead of you and you want to avoid it at all costs. You don't send in a meek guy into the other crowd. It's like diplomatic and flattering or anything like that at all. That, that to me is, that, that to me is all, not at all what the diplomatic is about. The diplomatic is to walk into the neighboring village on your own, knowing they can kill you at any given time because you're not protected. You might just have a bodyguard with you or a spy or something like that. And you walk into the other tribe and you say, that, okay, guys, we're getting ready for war and I can see you are too. Who's the guy here that I can talk to and go into tough negotiation? So we can both agree that we settle at least for another year before we go into the next possible war. No, that's a tough guy who does that, like a really, really tough politician. It's certainly not Margot Wallström or any Swedish politician today. No. This is the diplomat. And when you think about it, the diplomat is then a priest. He's, a pre- he's very close to the priest.
0: The he character. has to be in tribal terms, I suppose. He
1: better wear, a, if he's on his own, he's just a bodyguard, better wear a costume that gives him authority. He better have his god with him. He better have his medals on his chest. Like, yes. I have authority. I speak on behalf of this entire tribe. I'm not the chieftain. We can't send the chieftain here because you would kill him if he walked in here. But I can walk in here. You will not kill me because you would want me to go back and provide a message back before you start or not start a war. You want to keep this communication channel open. This is the only reason you don't kill me, but I'm still wearing a dress to communicate well, you that don't, I have the
0: authority. You don't speak. kill the priest or the witch doctor because you know that his soul will probably curse you for it.
1: Well, you might even believe that. I, don't
0: think. <laughs> I mean, back in the day, they but probably the did.
1: But the guys in the tribe probably knew better. <laughs> yeah. right? He certainly walked into the room. You could kill him, but you didn't want to kill him because he's also the guy who's going to go back to the other tribe. So you don't have to go there or send a priest there. He's going to go back to the other tribe and negotiate with them. So the priests have to be in more or less constant communication with other tribes. And this is contrary to what historians have believed. Historians like Jared Diamond, you know, these historians on the rough history of humanity, have always said that, well... Essentially, there were a bunch of tribes. There were never more than 3 million people on the planet. They ran around everywhere trying to find food, and there was not a lot of food around, so they ran into conflict with each other and killed each other constantly.
0: That's what I think.
1: Well, there was a lot of warfare going on, and tribes did kill each other to extinction. You know, yes. up until modern times, you, 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 you totally wiped out your enemy, right? So... You try to avoid that. And that doesn't mean you were sound like halfway in between. Like, well, there are 200 guys in your tribe and 200 mine. We killed 20 each and then sort of we reached a peace settlement. That never happened. If you did have a war or a conflict, you probably went all the way until you waved out your enemy. So avoiding conflict could pay off. And this is the thing. If you then got a few people who don't really belong to any of the two tribes, they look a bit too weird. The behavior is a bit strange. You can tell when you look at them, this guy, they would kick him out at the center. They wouldn't allow this guy to be at the center of the tribe. He's a bit wicked and weird. That means he's also learned to survive at the outskirts of that tribe. That means he gets his role within that tribe, and he gets rewarded for sticking his neck out, going into the foreign tribe, and actually talk to them and try to reach some kind of a settlement. So the diplomat is the trickster who walks into the other tribe, whereas the trickster himself is a trickster who stays within his own tribe. And where do you use the trickster the most? Well, rarely in the inner circuit, rarely in the inner circuit. You're not running around cracking jokes and make women laugh. That's what a traditional comedian does.
0: Women trickster... don't even come to my shows.
1: Exactly. There you go. <laughs> other men do because you are a Janjun trickster. The Janjun trickster keeps the hunters and the warriors and the other categories of the outer circuit on their feet constantly. His job is there to question what they do, cause trouble for the chieftain, make sure the patriarchs are on their feet and don't go corrupt. I think the trickster is very much involved in pointing out that the patriarch's time has come. He should resign. When he's not resigning, you need to arrange the patricide. So he's probably involved in that too. But the trickster is not charming women. He's out there keeping the men on their feet. And this makes him different from the guy who cracks a joke at eight o'clock at night during the storytelling inside the trap. That's a totally different character. That's a storyteller. So to me, the storyteller and the trickster have very different archetypes. But the trickster archetype is related to the priestly and the diplomatic.
0: That might be true. I, I think I always just like chaos. And I'd like to see how we understood chaos in our terms. And for me, our terms are stories. Remember so. this
1: one thing. When you're at the outer outskirts of the outer circuit you must be fascinated with chaos because it's next door to you if you're in the inner circuit you're paranoid about it you don't want it to happen you want to be protected when you're at the outer end of the outer circuit you're not protected you walk into the wrong marshlands you're dead you run into enemies of different tribes constantly they look different than you they have a different painting on the forehead they kill you unless you kill them Chaos is really close to you all the time. You're also hunting. You're dealing with wild animals. Chaos. You have to tame nature constantly. You have to kill nature constantly. I don't really
0: think there is any safety. I've never thought so. I think that we all, regardless of where we are, if we're in an inner circle or an outer circle, the possibility of death is always near and always real. Yes,
1: that's that's of course the real truth. Yes. The mythology of the inner circle is that you are protected. We'll take care of you no matter what happens, blah, blah, blah. This is what people tell you when they do this storytelling at 8 o'clock in the evening by the fire. And, of course, it's just like modern television. Modern television tells you, too, that there are no threats out there. Everything is fine. Everything is safe. you live forever. And nothing will ever happen to you. But that's a storytelling the to the children and to women in there who are very comfortable with that kind of storytelling. Once you're outside and you look at the bigger picture, you discover that the tribe is constantly bordering chaos. And chaos is both nature and foreign tribes. There are yep. enemies everywhere. Threats everywhere. And the trickster has to handle that. The trickster is very unafraid. It's one of his characters. Meaning he's not afraid of the guys in the tribe either.
0: I think he doesn't really take things too seriously. That's yes. the problem.
1: Even his own life.
0: Exactly. Mm. Uh, and that is very uh, clear, I think, when you look at the trickster in his own myth, which I've done extensively, especially comedies. Those, uh, I think, are modern trickster myths. Yep. Because... Uh, You always see them and they always go out after something completely idiotic. If the hero has has a a real higher purpose that obviously serves the tribe, the trickster often declares on himself that he has a higher purpose that to everyone else is a fool's errand. And then he runs off and usually he fails at most things until he learns the tricks himself and can turn the tables on his enemies. Uh, But even then, usually, he loses what he wants, but everyone else gains something from his mistake.
1: And then you have two interesting things about Milo Yiannopoulos. He's obviously openly gay. Do you think gay guys and women are his fans? No. No. Straight guys. That means he's not a comedian. He's not a gay comedian anything like that at all. He's obviously a trickster. The fact that he's gay means he doesn't compete with you when you come to the sexual ritual. That means he's not gonna he's not gonna try to be, attract those women that you wanna fuck when you as a hunter come into the tribe and you get rewards. That means you can actually make alliances with them. Yeah. He's not dangerous for you. You have the upper hand sexually towards him. But it also means that he will not be scared of anything. But not in the way that he's heroic and strong and he's trained himself and got tons of muscles and has a spear in his hand and therefore nobody can beat him. He's just not scared of anything because if he lives or dies, it doesn't matter.
0: Yes.
1: But the own men he finds in the tribe that find him hilarious and do listen to him and actually admire him, they're not going to kill him. They might not protect him, but on the other hand, he might not need that protection because they're not going to kill him. He's not competing with them at all.
0: But also, um, I think if, if you look at a real trickster, like the archetype trickster, yeah. he doesn't need anyone because he Because can he never tri- backs off. He never if, backs if, off. If you're for the
1: lowest in the hierarchy, you have nothing to defend. So say, I, I, I'm fighting for my integrity or my honor. Well, the trickster never does that. If you're at the bottom of the hierarchy anyway, you never claim honor or integrity.
0: Well, he sometimes can trick himself into what other perceive as honor, but usually yeah, the thing for... Is
1: ironic about it.
0: Yes, most of the time. Yeah. I mean, Luke doesn't belong in Valhalla, but still he ends the world yeah, in sure. the myth. And, he, you know, he brings well, on Ragnar.
1: The trickster himself does not belong inside the hunting team. He doesn't hunt himself because then he's a hunter, right? Yes. But he goes in between. But that means he does have allies. And I would say... The guy who defends the trickster, when the sort of the trickster is like, oh, he's just too much. It's just too much. There must be something wrong with him, at least. It's like, there's just too much about Milo. What then happens is that the guys that have the priestly costume on, the priest will step in and say, no, he's just a trickster. Don't you realize that? You don't have to attack anything, he says. We need him. Yes. If he's not there, then who will serve that role? Who takes over that archetype? We don't have him there. Because the priest has to concentrate on the official message. That's like the storytelling of the tribe. The metaphysical storytelling is the main purpose of the priest. There's just another aspect to it. You cannot go to the tricksters if you go to confession booth and you need guidance because the trickster will just fool you around, right? It's not his job. The priest has to run the confession booth. The confession booth is where you train boys to become men. It's just like, okay, you got one area you didn't cover. There was one area you didn't learn. There's something you're missing. Here's your weak spot. Here's your Achilles heel. That's when you go to the priest and start working on that instantly, so you don't have that Achilles heel left any longer. That's what the confession booth does. That's what the field priest does, and that's not the job for the trickster.
0: I see trickster-like qualities in Donald Trump as well.
1: Yeah, I do. I
0: He's think definitely the Joker. Yes, he is, uh, and chaos.
1: Definitely, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But when he starts to rule, he doesn't do it very well because the
0: trickster should not achieve things. It's thing. so funny because he runs. He, he, tr- he the tries to be phallic. And he's not. (laughs) No.
1: (laughs) He's not phallic at all. No. He's fake phallic, but at least he's naively fake phallic and not. Yeah, and it's sort of funny. Isn't it? Fake phallic. Yeah, it is. And I
0: think we've gotten used to that type of male comedian character from movies. Like the Donald Duck version of Adolf Hitler. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, thankfully, Donald Duck. And most of the things he declares as policies seems like fools' errands. Yeah. And then some of them turn out to be quite successful. And some of them
1: are going to be very, very costly too.
0: Yes. And wastes. Well, you know, chaos. You can't really predict what's going no. to happen.
1: No, exactly. <laughs> Nobody so, controls his
0: Twitter feed. But sometimes you need chaos. And that's what I saw when people voted for Trump, was that... It was a protest vote in many ways. It for, was for, for a lot of people, yeah. and they saw, like the Republicans in the states, at least who voted for Trump. I think a lot of them saw a gridlock system in the in Washington, and they thought, "I just want to throw in the biggest brick I can find." Yes, and along comes Donald Trump. I yes. mean, you couldn't find a better brick. How could you?
1: can we irritate the elite? How can we irritate the establishment? Donald Trump served that role perfectly. Yes, so he's a him, him right in there. And said, "Yeah, it's scary and that he's got to." Have access to the button but he's got grandchildren hopefully he keeps his finger off the button as long as he keeps his finger off the button anything he does is better than the alternative
0: yes exactly and also another trickster like uh, qualities I told you earlier that trickster is always defined by the system itself so what is order will create him right Uh and isn't he like the perfect sort of uh, surreal twisted American ideal like, the, he really is the shadow of the American ideal. Well. He's the id of it.
1: I think he is. But if you compare, say, Milo Yiannopoulos and, and Donald Trump, and Milo ironically calls Donald Trump his daddy.
0: Yeah, right? Well, I don't so think is, it's
1: ironic. There, no, I don't <laughs> think it is. I think he certainly feels certain sympathy with him. The problem is that Donald Trump is the trickster from a bygone age, and that's exactly why he got all the way to the presidency. Whereas Marijuana Paws much more dangerous in that position because he's actually the trickster of the new age. Because it's also significant, it's significant to, for a young smart trickster he's very clever with using new tools. Say so you got a new communication technology out there. The people that are the most the smartest using new technologies to their advantage are tricksters, simply because you don't let the tricksters in through the old media. Well, you got me involved in the podcast world, Aaron, for example. you I did. I techno- had no choice. You, you only learned how to use these tools exactly so you could use them, and then you did it your own way. Yeah. You set up your own podcast, and you do it exactly like you do it, and you don't know how to do it, so you do your own way. But you actually use it in a very sort of – in inventive, innovative way. So this is exactly what tricksters do. If you get new technology around, the tricksters are going to be the first guys to use it, simply because they're not allowed into the traditional arena. And when they are in the traditional arena, they're censored and banned and they're kept low. And that's exactly why they stick to new technologies and use them much, more, much smarter than anybody else does.
0: I might be incorrect now, but I think that the trickster Mercurius invented the loot which yeah. impressed Apollo so much that he was able to trick Apollo into giving him his flying shoes or something. Yes, in exchange.
1: tricksters <laughs> invent new technologies. They new invent new communication tools, and they do it precisely because they're not allowed to use the classic ones. So, yeah, there's a lot of tricksters out on YouTube at the moment.
0: Yeah, I see them. I, call I them, do too. I, yeah. And
1: I love them. Yeah. And when they meet each other and they sit and have little chats with each other for hours, I can I never stop listening.
0: We've been at it for three days now. Can you believe it? Yeah. There you, yeah. Go. <laughs> there you go. So uh, We're
1: sitting I... here at the margins of society, at the outskirts of the outer circuit, in really dangerous territory, with chaos next door. We're completely fine with it. And we're basically commenting on what we see at the inside of the tribe, where people are confused.
0: That's what we do. And where were, did we start this conversation? We started it with the ideal of Lagom, lack of our ar- archetypes, and then we moved into the trickster. Yes. Because. And we
1: can round it off by saying that Lagom has no place within the archetype.
0: Once you've discovered your
1: archetype, be brilliant at it. And you know what? It's easy to be brilliant at your own archetype. Because you found your own archetype. It's just like you have flow. It's just like, yeah, this is what I was meant to do. You could have been a slacker most of your life and suddenly you fall into the right archetype. There's a need for it. You do that role and suddenly you work day and night and you enjoy every second of it. That's a perfect example of what an archetype is.
0: Yeah, I know it was quite kind of a surprise for a small uh, Jewish boy with so much Freudians in his family uh, to discover that uh, in some respects, Jung was right. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He was.
0: Yes. Absolutely. so anyway thank you for these three days it's been fucking wonderful if
1: you been fucking wonderful too and i hope the few people out there are like this then we can continue doing it and do it again yes yeah.
0: and uh, we will
1: you're my podcast buddy
0: same absolutely same yeah yes thank you thank you Thank you for listening to The Aaron of the Jew. My name is Aaron Flam and you have been listening to Alexander Bard. I can also be heard on my podcast, Deconstructive Critique, Deconstructive Criticism, where I deconstruct deconstructivism in a constructive way. And you can also follow me through my webpage, www.aronflam.com. This podcast can be supported by donations on Patreon. Just type in www.patreon.com and search for The Aryan and the Jew, and then donate as much or as little as you like. If you live in Sweden, you can also swish 0768943737. 0768943737. Alexander Bard can be followed on Twitter under his nom de guerre, Bardissimo, or on Facebook. Apart from an earlier life as a pop star and a TV personality, he's an author and a philosopher in his own right, focusing on the melding of man and technology. Together with Jan Söderquist, he has written several books ranging from The Netocrats in the year 2000 to Digital Liberto in 2018. That's this year. So I suggest you check that one out. Until next time and next season, have a good unit of time. Aaron Flam signing off.